We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fellas, listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to... Now, listen, they're a good football team. Give the Kansas City Chiefs credit. They won. They were the better team tonight. The Buffalo Bills will be back. Now, this is a learning experience. Learning experience. Tough environment to play. We didn't play our best game. We didn't coach our best game. We'll be back. We've been on a, been on a great climb. We've been on a great climb. I'm proud of everyone here. I'm proud of the Bills Mafia that made it to the game. We obviously didn't play our best game, but we're going to learn from this experience. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And that was Buffalo Bills head coach Sean McDermott from his immediate post-game on-field interview with Evan Washburn of CBS Sports. Wow. We're here, Chris. Yep. The roller coaster has come to its final destination. We pulled into the station. It was a hell of a season. It's time to get off and grab your shit and get back in line. First of all, cheers. Cheers. On what was one hell of a run for the Buffalo Bills. In tonight's podcast, we're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to recap the game. We're going to talk about philosophically where we stand and what we're looking at. I mean, Chris, the X's and O's of this thing, there's been so many podcasts already that dove into the nuts and bolts of what happened on Sunday. I'm not going to waste everyone's time with a lot of that because I'll level with you. I didn't have it in me to go back and rewatch this game the way I usually do. I, I just didn't have it in me. I haven't worked in two days, and yet I couldn't bring myself to rewatch that football game in its totality. Can you blame me? No, it was a, it was a tough game to it was a tough game to watch live. It was a tough game to listen to you during the game. But oh no, we're, we're, you know that is Sunday, Drew. We're gonna dig in all kinds of things. I mean, this is one of those games where you appreciate like. Greg Thompson and Aaron Quinn over at Cover One do an immediate post-game show. What, those Fairweather fans? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it's a joke if you guys haven't seen it on Twitter. <laughs> People suck. People suck and don't realize that uh, 
we'll if if you take it to street level, we'll find the subway. We are the hardest drinking Pettiest Pills podcast. People seem to forget that. Yeah, it should almost be like <laughs> Norm Macdonald in Dirty Work. Like, that's you. Like, if somebody's bothering you on Twitter, Drew will come handle it for you. It's fine. Sometimes people need to get bodied. But either way, either way, it's been rough. But in this show, we're going to talk about what happened. We're going to talk about our experience. And we're going to talk about where we, the outlook going forward. Because like, I feel like that's, that, that's, it's fair. It's fair under these circumstances. We have to do it. I mean, We'd be remiss if we didn't recap the title game, right, Chris? Yeah. And so with that, here we go. AFC's championship AFC title game recap. Chiefs 38, the Bills 24, and it starts with the stats of the game. Josh Allen, 24 of 48 for 287 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, and an 80.8 rating. Patrick Mahomes, 29-38, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and a 127.6 rating. Third down conversions, Kansas City, 60%. They were 6 of 10. Buffalo, 36%. 5 of 14. Bills running backs, 9 carries, 32 yards, and 1 first down. Wide receiver Gabe Davis, 3 targets, no catches. Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, 68% of all Kansas City passing targets, 11 catches and two touchdowns against our linebackers in zone coverage, 290 total combined yards. The Bills defensive line, five players with two or fewer tackles, three quarterback hits, two of which were whiffed sack attempts, one sack. Chris, game day. I'll be honest, game day wasn't, I didn't have any of the anxiety that I thought I was going to. What were you? Yeah, I had I had anxiety. I mean, I wanted, I'm making a brisket and I've never done a brisket before. <laughs> I want to make sure that that's on point. And then, you know, the game happens and, you know, for Mike Swenson down in Australia, he gave me a bottle of uh, Bundaberg rum, which is like considered the house rum. That's like. Looking what alcoholic beverage I'm going to bring to Drew's this championship game. I got to bring out the stuff that I don't drink often, which is Bundaberg. But, you know, after that first quarter, then my nerves started to calm down or really go up, rather. And I couldn't <laughs> drink. I think I had two drinks during the game. Yep. No, well, not only that, but you joined the workforce again on Monday. Hilariously. Yeah. Chris has been unemployed for weeks, and then in the aftermath of that game, he has to go to work in the morning. How hilarious is that? I Meanwhile, I haven't been to work since Friday. No, it was a relaxing afternoon in the run-up to it. I didn't have any of the usual nerves. I, I ordered our sub tray specifically to 3 o'clock to keep me from drinking before that. My wife was like, oh, no, I'll go get it. I was like, honey, you don't understand. I have to have this. I'm I'm already, like, uh, what do you call that, baby-proofing? Like, when you baby-proof a room? You're adult-proofing? I was drunk-proofing my afternoon, and it worked to a T, but... Honestly, I didn't feel compelled. I had no nervousness coming into this. And I think that we put out the best spread for game day of the entire year. Uh, Wegman sub platter. Uh, bar- Chris made a barbecue brisket dip. Yeah, I did the, I did the, uh, I seasoned it with like a McCormick's cowboy rub because the Josh Allen went to Wyoming. <laughs> and then uh, my girlfriend and I, we made the barbecue sauce dip. The barbecue sauce ourselves for the dip. 
But it didn't come out as hot as we had Some hoped. real foodies over here. Uh, Mark Smith's wife brought puff pastry mini Philly cheesesteaks. Uh, Kyle Trimble's wife brought cake pops. Mark Smith brought his official gas station smorgasbord. What, what was it this time? Little Debbie's birthday cakes, um, some Whoppers, just all kinds of nonsense. And it was funny watching the game because Jack got upset, my son, after the initial outburst on that fumbled punt recovery by Buffalo, but was a giggly mess as soon as we scored the touchdown and we got to sing the shout song and I could throw him around in the air. And t- The kid was all decked out in Zubaz. It was awesome. That first, that first, I'd say two thirds of the day were fantastic. Couldn't have gone better. Yeah, the first quarter was fantastic, and that was, you know, Chiefs were probably the better team, but you know, Buffalo only had to be better for sixty minutes, and I, we were better for fifteen. Not good enough. I want to start off by revisiting last week's keys to victory. The first one. Now, as you heard in the stats of the game, the first one was coverage collapsing quickly and rallying to the ball. Now, as you heard in the stats to the game, that didn't go well. It didn't go well at all. In fact, didn't go well might be something of an understatement. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. The Chiefs absolutely killed us by throwing into the open windows of our zone coverages and just generated chunks of yards after the catch in the back end. Three of their scoring drives were built on drives where Kansas City players generated seven or more yards after the catch on two or more plays. That sort of passivity in any defense is just too much to overcome when you look at the weapons that KC has on the table in terms of just speed and open field running ability. You can't allow that to happen. The second was maintaining composure. From being able to hang in the pocket and not press when they lost their nine-point lead to an emotional unraveling at the end in response to the chippiness and the physicality that we're going to discuss here in a few minutes, the Bills simply were not composed in the face of adversity. But they're not alone. I mean, I'm sure so many of us at home, and we had our own collective meltdowns. I know that we here aren't immune. At one point in the third quarter, tempers and emotions run a little hot over in the gear household, our party actually resembled a, like some sort of manic scene straight out of a Chris Farley film. I can't stop! Help! There's a cliff! And your family screaming, Oh my God, we're burning alive! No, I can't feel my legs! Here comes a meat wagon! And the medic gets out and says, oh my God. I mean, I had, I I literally got into a yelling match with multiple people involved. You're right. I was a little hot under the collar, we'll say. But Chris, and this is where I'm going to make you defend this. Yes. In a moment of frustration, I said that everyone associated with this needs to be fired. Those words came out of my mouth. But take a step back. Would you expect anything else from me in in, in a moment of passion? No, that's your type, you know. Well, this is what this would no. This I th- you've I was, seen me do some I, crazy things. I was I was thinking about this, like, because you know, in the moment, you're fire everyone. You don't pay Alan. It's like you're the guy that dates a woman and then dumps her, like because her earlobes are too big. <laughs> like, why do you got to nitpick like that? So then, when I finally calm down before the game is even over, and I start trying to okay. 
I'm going to walk back my previous statements because I've already upset everyone in the room. Let me walk this back by saying X, Y, and Z. Now I'm attacked because apparently I'm a waffler. Not because I'm an intelligent person who's taking in new information and letting that shape my outlook on the world. No, no, I'm a waffler, Chris, who gets all of his opinions from Twitter. It was anarchy down there. It was hostile. That what, Scale one to ten. Was that not one of the more hostile environments you've ever been associated with in my house? I would have, like, based on Sunday, that was your dad in the early 90s. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd argue my dad yelled far less. He would just go outside at that point. I, I don't know. That's how I was like, oh, this is probably how you know it's, Drew's dad was in, the, in not, the early 90s. Not even close. I mean, you know it's bad when Mark with a C gets yelled at by his wife when they get home for being too militant. I saw that. Jessica and I laughed about that hysterically. <laughs> that was hilarious. That's an honor typically reserved for me. I'm usually the one who's... The, <laughs> Chris, am I or am I not usually the most manic person in the room? Yeah. So when someone like Mark... Is stealing the you know it's a, is stealing the crown you know it's a bad night that's how bananas it got in my house and I'm sure I'm not alone out there if any of you have any crazy stories about overreactions during the game flip coffee tables you put somebody <laughs> through a glass coffee table T- tweet at us at Rockpile Report Anything, I want to hear this yeah. so I can show it to my wife and my friends and be like you see I'm not the only one we aren't the only lunatics out here who overreact to football <sighs> we also said that Josh Allen was one of the keys to the game. I slash we, being the collective podcast community, this week we don't have to pillory Josh Allen for what happened on Sunday because he's good enough at doing that by himself. It almost takes some of the... Doesn't it say... It's like when you when you use self-depreciating humor. It makes it harder for people to make fun of you. Yeah, okay, that, well, that is my go-to, self-deprecating in this way, when you humor. See, when you see how Josh Allen handles these sorts of things... It makes it hard to really criticize the guy. I mean, in the face of some real adversity, crowd noise, which for the first time, I mean, this is the first time it's really been a factor all year. A world-class defensive coordinator, protection that at times because of that noise wasn't up to snuff, and a game plan that kind of left him digging for options on more plays than not. Allen wasn't composed enough. The moment got him. Scrambling plays when he should have just thrown the ball away that went south. Forced throws that were either poorly timed or just bad decisions. I mean, he didn't hit adversity and sink like the Titanic, but he just wasn't good enough to prevent the team from falling into too big of a hole to get out of. I think once he gets behind, he, like, immediately... Big moment, you're behind two scores. He immediately gets that cowboy mentality. Because he wants to win so badly that he says, okay, we're all struggling, but I'm going to be the reason we win. Yeah, but you can't make stupid mistakes. Well, it's not even about stupid mistakes. It's he wants to win so badly that he thinks he can single-handedly elevate all of the people who have been struggling all night around him. Yeah, and football's a it's team a game. Team sport. That's the last last I saw on Google. It and was so in football that way, team the, sport. And in that way, you can say the better team, the team that played like the better team, won. It really, it's that simple. But there were so many individual matchups. And yet, in that, though, I want to, before we move on, he owned that. He once again, I mean, after that Houston loss, it was hard not to feel for him, right? Yeah. So then, to hear that, you know, he, he goes to into his Zoom conferences and he owns it. But not just to us as fans or to the media or to his coaches, but I have it on good authority that he owned it behind the scenes to literally every player in that locker room. 
apologized and said that it'll be better. I'll be better. That speaks volumes about the guy. And in that way, it makes it really hard for me to sit here and trash him, right? Yeah, I think it makes it more of, uh, you know, the captain, the leader that you expect your quarterback to be. That's my point, I guess. And now, if you want to dig into some of the matchups that dictated this, I think one of the biggest ones was kind of what we feared, and that was Steve Spagnuolo and that defense of his going up against Allen and Dable. I mean, in what was a lopsided, one of the most lopsided parts of the game, Josh Allen and Brian Dable really took an L against this defensive coordinator and the way he chose to call this game. Now, he's a Super Bowl winner in his own right. The, the man's talented. He's worked for multiple franchises. He had a stint as a head coach. Uh, I think that was the year Richie Incognito threw a helmet at him in St. Louis. That's oh. actually how Richie Incognito got his first stint with the Buffalo Bills. I don't. I think it might have been Kyle Turley. <laughs> what are you talking about? Throwing a helmet? No, that was Richie Incognito. Steve Spagnuolo was the head coach of the Rams off of his... He led the Giants to a Super Bowl with that defense. Yeah, and then got the, the Rams Bowl, job. Got the Rams job. And it was Richie Incognito who threw a helmet at him and actually got kicked off the field by the team and then was cut the next day, and the Bills signed him midseason the year we had T.O. Bang. That was his first stint with the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> Throughout the first half, I was frustrated with our offense. And I couldn't help but blame what I thought was a vanilla game plan, which is where my first, which I know set Mark on fire, when I said Brian Dable is killing us in this game. And I had a lot of vitriol for the man. And it wasn't until about halfway through the second quarter when I realized what was actually happening. Allen, throughout the course of that game, was routinely coming to the line of scrimmage, looking at the defense, and then making adjustments to the play calling at the line of scrimmage. Everybody saw that. Chris, I saw it. Layperson watching the game. Out of every five plays, three of them, Allen was at the line of scrimmage calling an adjustment or calling a different play altogether. It's something he's done all season, which kind of underscored a huge step in his development. It's borne fruit for us all season when it came to beating opponents who look like they're playing zone or look like they're lining up for an obvious blitz and identifying holes in that. In this game, Spagnola used that tendency against Josh Allen showing him a look, and then making adjustments as Allen was adjusting the play. You saw safety shifting in tandem along with our wide receivers on more plays than not. Man coverage pop out of formations that used to look like zone. It was the driving force behind Allen's awful first half performance and our offense's inability to sustain any kind of, sustain any kind of productivity. That was it. You can't blame Brian Dable for that because whatever his plan was, we never really got to see much of it. According to Allen, the team did it, and he said it in his postgame, they did a phenomenal job showing him cover zero, leading him to making changes to dial up a blitz beater, and then bailing out of it into zone, which left him scrambling to find an open player. And vice versa, they, they would often run zone looks and then bring pressure from unorthodox places. I mean, he pointed to their ability to run blitzes out of formations that look like coverage, even high coverage from the safety position. It threw the entire offensive game plan off kilter. It's worth noting that at the start of the second half, you stopped seeing so many pre-snap adjustments. And that's when our offense clicked and actually found a little bit of momentum. But in that first half, we dug a hole. What was it? 24, 24 to 9 at one point? I think so. We were consistently down two scores at minimum. 
And at that point, you're, you're already, you're too far behind the eight ball to hope that your defense can bail you out. You need to score tit for tat with them. And we didn't do it. We dug too big of a hole to overcome. I think the other thing was that the Chiefs defense sent pressure on every single third down. Even third and two, third and one, third and three. They stacked the line and brought pressure. Knowing the physicality that they were playing with against our outside wide receivers was working. And the results on that speak for themselves. We had on third downs, the Bills had just two passes completed for conversions. We had two passes that were completed just short of the sticks, which led to us going for it on fourth down, which we did to our credit. We had two successful fourth down conversions. We had three rushes by Allen, two of which went for first downs, five incomplete passes that resulted in punts and one sack that resulted in the melee at the end of the game. Factor in the timely pressure by the defensive line and the fact that they played a really nasty brand of football that our offense wasn't ready for. Life was just too difficult for our offense to even get off the ground. Chris, I again, I have I refuse to go back and rewatch that game. It's still a little too raw. But it's telling when you get to the end of a game and you still don't know what the game plan was supposed to be. I think this is going to be Allen's game that he may rewatch all off season. Because I mean, if you want to get it better at a quarterback, there's twice the season that Spags has beat him. And, you know, we're playing the Chiefs next year. And if the Chiefs end up winning, and that's going to bet if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, you know that Kansas City Buffalo is that opening Thursday night game next year. Eh, potentially. So, th- so that's, this is a spot where Allen, watch your tape and get better from it. Well, and you know, and you know that we talked about it last week. You need wins in order for a rivalry to become a thing. Otherwise, so oh yeah, yeah. You also claim that to be over with wins, on Sunday. Well, because yeah, I said there's no way. I go if this is the type of performance we're going to get from not just Josh Allen, but from this team every time these two teams get together, then we are the Philip Rivers to their Tom Brady. It's not up for debate. If this is what you bring to the table, I think if, it's too soon if, for that. It's only are, two games. I understand that, but. You can't have any more of this. You can't turn into George Costanza, jumping into, you know, George Costanza, I was in the pool! Ah! You can't be that every single time you jump into the pool against these, against these championship caliber teams. Otherwise, you become a historical also-ran. I'm quite confident in McDermott and Dayball and Allen. It's going to be like that. Like I said last week, that Ted, Ma- Ted Marchabrota coming off the field against the Browns. Like, hey, maybe we should do that two-minute offense not in the fourth quarter. We should just do it all the time. So we're going to come up with something in the offseason because I'm quite confident you'll see the Chiefs at least week one next year. The red zone offense was in particular a problem, and I can't even blame Josh Allen for this. The Bills were somewhat mediocre in this regard all season long. I mean, we were 13th in the NFL in the regular season. But in the playoffs, they were a little bit better, although we didn't get many trips into the red zone before Sunday's game. But in a game where every point mattered and you knew the Chiefs were going to get points, you knew they were going to score, as they do every week against every opponent, regardless of how good their defense is. The Bills had to find ways to convert whenever KC let us get down near the end zone. And even for everything that went wrong, we ended up with four trips down there inside the 20 and settled for just one touchdown. That's, you can't have that. 
I mean, between the questionable decision to kick field goals and pray that the defense could hold the interception thrown while trying to target John Brown, the Bills got opportunities to keep pace in this one. Even if it didn't feel like we did, we just couldn't capitalize. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't that big of a fan of the field goals. I mean, it's the AFC Championship game. I think Nate Geary tweeted out something about McDermott's ability to be aggressive in those situations, and he just wasn't on no. Sunday. You're playing the Chiefs. You got to get in the end zone. You're you playing know? a team that scored on six straight drives. Guess what? You need points, and you need you need them badly. Not three points at a time, because you're not chipping away at that kind of a lead. That's not a game where it's like, okay, this is tit for tat, so even if we're down by a score or two, we can chip away. No, because that team is not taking his foot off the gas pedal. Yeah, we got to get in the end zone, and I think McDermott should have taken those chances when he got inside the 10. The, here's, the, here's the part of it that I don't like. Zero designed quarterback runs from inside the 15-yard line in the first half. Two fake field goals, two field goals taken despite having the ball inside the 10. No play action. No play action in the red zone. Three. Do you remember the three wide receiver, one tight end play from the goal line that I told you? It was it was from the the three or four, and I said, Chris, this I circled the the, the bunch formation on the left hand side where it was Knox and Diggs, and I want to say Brown, maybe Beasley was over there. And I looked at you and I circled it and I go, Chris, this play sucks. It sucks already when you look at the defensive alignment and the fact that they're going to try to pass this. They're not running. They're going to try to throw the ball and there's just too much defensive traffic for anybody to come open prior to Josh being able to deliver. Vaguely, I was too into making eye contact with my girlfriend over the things Mark was saying. Okay, (laughs) so that was the play where Josh Allen almost stepped out of bounds. Oh, is that where he, he had to scramble? To scramble, <laughs> threw it away, but was called out of bounds. And then they had to review it, which, and then even after the game, that was uh, deemed unreviewable, that they made a mistake reviewing it. What I know is this, that that formation was never going to work. I knew it just based on the defensive alignment. So the fact that we are at the three-yard line, four-yard line, can't run the ball to get into the end zone. You're going to try to throw on a long developing route tree. What the hell are we doing? <laughs> and I don't want to hear any excuses about, well, this is what should have happened. It was a it's poor coaching. It's poor decision down there in that red zone. And today, Bills Twitter's collective heads are exploding after McDermott brought up needing to run the ball more effectively next season. Now, I don't care what you think about running back value or reconstructing the offensive line. It's moments like those right there that having a respectable rushing attack, you have to have it. Because when you have one, even if you do want to throw from the four-yard line instead of trying to run the ball in, teams can't spread out the way that the Kansas City Chiefs defense did on that play. They shut it down incredibly easy because no one was scared of uh, Singletary or Yeldon, either one of them. And it's clear from the rushing statistics that I talked about earlier, nobody had any reason to be afraid of them. We had no ability to impose our will in short-yarded situations. None. You're getting me all excited for whenever we get Matt Waldman on. (laughs) (laughs) And I think one of the biggest themes of the game is that physicality just wasn't on our side. It wasn't, it wasn't just apparent on the, outs, on the outside uh, for the DBs. I mean, 
when you look at the job they did taking Stephon Diggs away in the first half. I think he had two catches, six targets. Something so, like that. Something like that. Call in if you know. Their team played with an edge, both physical and philosophical, that our team couldn't match. Their linebackers were being physical at the line of scrimmage with our running backs and our offensive line. Their safeties were being really tough on our wide receivers down the field. I mean, you remember what I said about Vinovich's let him play mentality? Yeah. Okay. KC, they they tap danced all over that line perfectly. And after the game, Dable went and apologized in person to each of our wide receivers for not doing more to scheme them open, to try to find some rub routes or something to get them open off of the physical play that KC was bringing to the table. The cheap shots, the late hits, the trash talk. It's been a while since I saw this Bills team get bullied like that. Casey punked us. I mean, they, okay, so you throw, Chris Jones throws a punch at John Feliciano after, after the whistle, knowing he's going to get away with it, right? Yeah, you should immediately get a rock bottom or a stone cold stunner after that. And yet, he was smart about it. He picked his moment. He picked his moment where he's like, no one's looking at me. Fuck this guy. I'm going to punch him. Why? Why? Because I can. Because there's nothing you're going to do about it. When Josh Allen flipped the ball at Chris Jones, Chris Jones went after our quarterback. And it's because of Feliciano that he probably didn't He wasn't guy who was in the, the, the giving him the business play. Oh, yeah. Dawkins and, Dawkins and Feliciano went after him. It was like four unsportsmanlike conduct, and then it was all offset. But when you think about it, a lot of that stems from what's been bubbling under the surface, the whole frustration from our players at the fact that they're being manhandled. They are being manhandled most of the game. I mean, the Chiefs don't think about the secondary. The Chiefs don't have the talent level of our cornerback, Trey White. They their, their safety tandem is arguably up there with ours, but I'd argue we have better. I think they're linebackers are painfully so average in coverage. They still have Ragland. But by playing aggressive, physical football, they could accomplish a lot of things to shut down our offense and make life hard on our pass-catching options and ground our entire offense to a halt because you couldn't run the football, and they knew it. So they beat up our wide receivers, they got tough with their guys at the line of scrimmage, and our whole team just folded. There was a killer instinct that the Chiefs had that we couldn't match. And even as it manifested itself in the form of cheap shots and questionable hits and Tyron Matthew walking on talking shit to Stephon Diggs, the end result shows up on both the stat sheet and the scoreboard. The Kansas City Chiefs were the more intense team, and they walk out of there with a victory. And the last thing I have to talk about as we're recapping this is Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott might have had one of his more disappointing performances if you asked a lot of the fan base this week. Talk about the lack of preparation, both mentally, knowing that Kansas City is probably going to come out and try to put the boots to you. That's probably a thing that they're shooting for. Halftime. At halftime, you don't spend a whole lot of time in the locker room. You're not going over anything on the whiteboard. You're not drawing things up. Chris, they brought the players out early. Sean McDermott was quoted as telling the reporters on the sideline that there would be no sweeping changes philosophically for the Bills in the second half, which I openly laughed at. I, I don't know which reporter said it, but I remember laughing. Uh, it's Evan Washburn. I remember laughing and going to get another beer. They said, well, we talked to Sean McDermott. His quote, there will be no changes. 
Oh, good. <laughs> his staff was ill-prepared, specifically on defense, which you would think is the area of expertise between Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott. There's also the matter of Davis getting the head start over Kenny Stills. Sean McDermott was rightfully questioned on the matter by the media on Monday, and his response really leaves you shaking your head in that he, this, is, this is how he said it, Chris. He left the decision on who would play up to the team doctors and the player, and that while he liked what he saw from Kenny, he wanted to give the guys who had played all season for the team a chance to contribute rather than someone who joined us late. Ooh, I'm trying to find it on Twitter. I'm, I'm almost there. It's something you tweeted out four days ago to Eric over at Cover One. Well, I think I just tweeted it in general, but... Well, yeah, you said the Davis situation is interesting in that if he can't go, Stills is a likely activation. With it comes questions. How much chemistry does Stills have with Allen? How many play packages has Dable developed for Kenny Stills? And then Kansas City's lack of tape on him. So that my thing was, well, maybe Kenny Sills doesn't know the playbook as well as he should, or Dable doesn't have plays for him, or the chemistry with Josh Allen, and that's why Gabe Davis got the start. But so to hear your head coach confirm that it had nothing to do with those things, and that it was just his feeling that if you were here all year and you contributed, you should have first grab at it if you think you can play. Chris... That sounds like a decision that I, the manager of a slightly competitive beer league softball team, probably would have made. I mean, you want the you you want to play the guys who paid to be there instead of a more talented sub, just by virtue of the fact that the guy who shelled out money probably deserves to get a chance to go out there and trip all over himself, right? Yeah, I, I was. That's a decision I've had to make. Probably three or four different times over the last two years since I took over the team. Yeah, and it's probably all you. Like, your actual physical attributes that you bring to the team, the softball team, bending over. Oh, no, I bench myself constantly. I would... I would bench you all the time. I would o- <laughs> I would only tell you when to come to the bar to drink cuz the bar expects a certain uh, a certain amount for the tab. And we know that we know that you can get there. You need to carry the bar. Yeah, we know that you can you can get there. I j- I just talk chalk that up to maybe Stills and Allen didn't have the chemistry that Dable and McDermott they didn't, they can, didn't like that. Okay, you can question that, but all I have to go off of is what my head coach says. And Which he, is coach speak most of the okay, time. Okay, but if he tells me that it was, hey, I wanted to leave it up to the guy who, I wanted to give him a chance to contribute because he's been here all year. I'm sorry, this is the NFL. It's not Stigglemeyer Park. Okay? You can't base your decisions in games like this on something like that. You can't. It'll get you killed. Davis was a complete non-factor, and what? He came off the field. I, I didn't even see the snap percentage, and I was too pissed off today to go look at it because I, I really don't want to know. Yeah, I see you have it here in the, in the notes, but there's no number next to it. So yeah, that means, I literally that have means in parentheses, you, yeah. folks, with italics, it says get snap percentage. And that's usually where I go back through my own show notes and plug that number in, and I was too pissed off today to do it because I really don't want to know. Tweet, tweet at us at Rockpile Report if you have the number. Because you know what? I, oh, 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 I'm a masochist. <sighs> Ultimately, this team had its unfinest hour of the 2020 season. I mean, it's arguably right up there with the Titans game. And certainly, this one was worse than our first loss to Kansas City. 
I'd put it right up there with the Titans. And there's some of that that lands at our head coach's doorstep. But with that said, a lot like Allen, this was the biggest moment of his professional career, and he blinked. And at the same time, like Josh Allen, he already seems painfully aware of it, as you heard him in the intro to tonight's show. He gave a pretty good synopsis of what went wrong (laughs) and what they plan on fixing. And in the following days, he's gone on to say things that allude to his understanding of the ways both he and his current players need to improve and the way that any future additions need to be, future additions to this roster or philosophical changes that are coming all need to work in concert to yield a more competitive football team. And I think that if we're going to give Josh Allen a pass here, I mean, Chris, how many people are out there right now pounding the table mad at Josh Allen? Are you, you could make the conversation. We wouldn't be in this game if it wasn't for him. Yeah, I mean, well, you were, you weren't a fan. I wasn't thrilled. Yeah, you were going back to the Drew Gear when we drafted him. Yep. But I mean, have you put the you put the uh, the quote out there the other day that like the the Bills didn't make a mistake drafting me or whatever yeah. whatever that he said it. That, he goes uh, if there was anything was. he can look back at from the 2020 season the I I proved this year that the Bills didn't make a mistake when they drafted me. How can you be mad at that guy? So if you're going to give him a pass, you have to give McDermott a pass, right? Cuz yeah. again, McDermott's not going anywhere. No, clearly. And neither is the rest of our staff. It's just one really rough way for such a great season to come to an end. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so with that, Chris, I want to get your final thoughts on just the game. Just the just game the, itself and just how we all was, walked away from this. It was very underwhelming as a game singular because we had played so well since like the Arizona game that you just thought that we would be in that game against Kansas City. And, you know, we really weren't. We were constantly playing from behind. Allen was, you know, getting wide-eyed, got to play that hero ball. And we did not play our best game and – but, I mean, in the overall context, we did better than anybody projected us to do. It, it's, it's last year we get a wild card, we get a playoff game, we had a lead and we lose it. So then this year it's like Tom Brady goes to Tampa Bay. 
okay, we could be in position for the division and hosting a playoff game, so let's just win said playoff game. That was like our expectations, and we we exceeded expectations. This, you know, brought you and your dad closer together, brought me and my parents closer together with them wanting to know when are games, when can I watch, and I don't think I don't think it's it's going to stop next year. I think this is going to continue. I wouldn't say expect 13 wins next year. We've got a first place schedule in that 10 to 13 range could be uh, riding out the division. And from here on out, I think the next like 10 years, we're in a good position to constantly be in line for the division and 10 wins and playoffs. I like it. I like it. I feel like Christian now over at, you know, who comes on to talk about the Patriots on our <laughs> AFC East show. <sighs> I, I, okay. Everyone strap in. Even though I have a half full beer, I'm opening a fresh one because I feel like I need it for this. Because I'll, I'll give it to you, Bills fans. I, like I said, this was one of those, yesterday was one of those days where I sat down to do show, show prep. You know, the kid was taking a nap. And I just I sat down to do it, and I instead watched an hour of Narcos. <laughs> I, just, I couldn't bring myself to re-watch, even in a condensed form, that football game. Because there's a part of me that still feels like we were riding such a high coming into this game that... You ever see those videos? Like, there's the one of that uh, a bunch of dumb girls stand in the back of a pickup truck and they're riding around in like a parking garage. Like, they're very clearly leaving a nightclub and they're all woo yeah. And the one girl just like the ceiling gets too low and she hits her head as they're going around the corner and everyone goes ooh my god. That's how I felt. I felt like we were riding such a high and we caught an eye beam to the face off of that loss because it wasn't that you. <laughs> I mean, I sat there all day yesterday trying to find a way to describe the mix of emotions that I was left with. And for a guy who doesn't know how to shut the hell up most of the time, I couldn't find the words. I was I was excited about the prospect of potentially seeing my first Super Bowl appearance as an adult this year. And yet I also would emotion I th- I thought I had emotionally prepared myself for a loss. I mean, Kansas City is a phenomenal team with arguably the NFL's most talented quarterback offensive threats, and coaches. They're experienced, and they're gritty when it matters. And that's a hockey thing. People talk about having enough sandpaper when the playoffs roll around. Yeah, we have... How many teams have a lot of skill that lose constantly in the playoffs because they're just not tough enough? Sabres haven't had that in over 10 years. I mean, but that loss, the way that we lost this game... For a Bills team that showed us toughness and grit all season long, it was somewhat... It was deflating. Painfully anticlimactic. And, you know, I, I sat here trying to come up with analogies about waves and different... Th- and it doesn't... N- none of it works. It's no, because you're not smart. It's nonsense. I mean, I felt every single bit of Stefan Diggs in that now famous photo of him standing on the field, holding his helmet with both hands, watching the Kansas City Chiefs celebrating going to a Super Bowl. No, that's not the first time in his entire career that he's been standing in that spot. Knowing that he's watched his team get to that point before in the past and 
had the boots put to them the same way. People might... The, the year of the Minnesota Miracle, the Minneapolis Miracle, I don't know what the fuck they call it, but the year that that happened... We all just wish you would say miracle correctly. Did you say miracle like it had... Mere, like meerkat? Miracle. It's a miracle. Yeah. Oh, I'll stick. I'm going to shatter this bottle and stab you in the neck with it. Please tweet in with your... With how mad you are of how Drew just said miracle. But you think about that season and how it seemed like they were destined for great things. And then the Eagles came in and blew them out in the first quarter and they never recovered the, the NFC championship game. Fast forward a couple years. He's right back in the same situation. Part of a team that just got the boots put to it by the probable team to go on and win the Super Bowl. And he's he's inconsolable. He won't come off the field. <laughs> Our head coach has to go out there and get him because there's nobody else that can console that man. We were I felt every single bit of that. <sighs> Things came off the rails. We're fans of a Bills team that got showed up in a bad way by a team that has been the gold standard of offensive execution over the last three years. And in doing so, so many of the inadequacies that we wrung our hands about in the early goings of the season, and even in the middle of the season, before we really hit our stride, where we were dominating teams on primetime TV, they almost made us forget that there were some problems here. And they jumped up and bit us in the ass like Forrest Gump running through the woods. The lack of rushing efficiency, specifically in the red zone, where from less than 10 years out, the Bills had to kick field goals. The lack of a dynamic tight end who could threaten opposing linebackers and prevent defensive coordinator from taking liberties, like constantly running cover zero or cover one and then blitzing heavy, simply, oh, <laughs> simply by having someone who you could trust to go over the middle and make spectacular plays for you. The lack of a pass rush that's keyed by individual players rather than your scheme. Chris, our UFA signings this season were supposed to bring a pass rush to this team. And if you remember, Greg Thompson came on this show and predicted there was going to be more than five players with five sacks. I don't remember. I know he was all about the defensive line getting sacks. I think a lot of the the lack of a... I mean, you'd say we had a lack of a pass rush for most of the year. I think a lot of that had to do with how many people were brought in, your Jeffersons, your Butlers, Epineza, that they didn't just get chemistry together in this COVID offseason. Okay, well, we, okay, in the offseason. But, but then, that we, as the season went on, I think our defense got our, – our king defensive game was that Ravens game. Okay, our defense played better. Yeah, because I think they got chemistry. You saw guys down the stretch of the regular season like A.J. Klein, who all of a sudden figured out how to be both a linebacker and a pass rusher. You saw guys coming on, but also you saw guys who you expected to be key contributors to this, the Quentin Jeffersons of the world, who honestly, if you had told me that he was inactive, I wouldn't have noticed on Sunday. I wouldn't have even known he was out there. Ed Oliver, did he make his presence known at all over the course of that game? I don't believe so. Against a team that lost both of its, so both of its starting tackles were down. We didn't really sniff he never sniffed the quarterback. Matt Milano came on a linebacker blitz, got to Mahomes, but wasn't big enough to bring him down before he could throw the pass that ultimately went for positive yardage. On another play, A.J. Epinesa overran a sack. 
outside of that, do you remember us getting to him much, if at all, in any kind of meaningful fashion? I don't. And, you know, in the situation with his foot, you would want him to get out outside of the pocket and make him run on that foot. Or, you know, if he's just completing a pass or completing a throw, knock him on his ass. It Let him know you're there. It underscored that we have a lot of work to do on that defensive line if we want this defense to really be what we think it can be. Especially if that's the... Chris, if that's the standard. If Kansas City is the standard that we now have to find... a Because we've overcome mediocre teams in the NFL. We've now risen above that level. Yeah, playing to other teams' levels. Up next is Kansas City. Kansas City's the mountaintop. If that's the mountaintop, then you got to figure out how, how do I get over there? Well... You, th- this is one way. you got to figure out how to rush the passer. And a lack of killer instinct by this coaching staff that people have complained about for years. It's still... In the moment, Sean McDermott went to, well, I wanted points. I wanted some points rather than none points. Well, that's what this Kansas City Chiefs team is built to do. Remember, yeah. the, remember the Raiders game that they won? Only because the Raiders kicked a field goal instead of going for it on fourth down. The Raiders played up almost perfect game right up until the end. And then they kicked a field goal. And the Chiefs never looked back. They just kept scoring touchdowns and kept scoring touchdowns, got a comfortable lead, and that was it. That was the end of the game. It was the second you kicked a field goal instead of pushing it and going for a touchdown. Yeah, there's going to be times like McDermott had on Sunday. You're inside the 10 and you're going for a field goal or... You got to be Randy Marsh. Put your balls in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> Let him know you're the man. You can't take. There's going to be times when next year when we play the Chiefs, and then if we see the Chiefs again in the playoffs, you can't have those field goals. And there's going to be two to three times throughout that those games where it's like, like, you know, I'm at the 15 and I got to get a couple yards for a first down. You go for a first down. You got to get in the end zone to beat the Chiefs on the, a consistent basis. The results of all these things, all these inadequacies bubbling to the surface is that we got kicked in the teeth by one of the NFL's best teams in front of the whole country. And it was a reminder that even as you ascend to the NFL mountain, you're still out there and you have more work to do as we head into the 2021 season. <sighs> But if there was ever a team or a fan base that can come back from that, how can you doubt that it's us, Chris? How can you doubt that we're the team that can answer the bell on that one? You can't. I'm going to start talking about it from a football standpoint. According to CBS Sports, the Bills are already number one with a bullet as they ranked the teams that lost in this year's postseason that they would pick to make next year's Super Bowl. And, well, it's a CBS piece, which means it's probably pretty lazily researched. It's not hard to see how you'd come to that conclusion. Look at, look at the way next year lays out for us. There are 21 teams around the NFL that are going to go into 2021 with questions at the quarterback position, including two to three of them in our own division. The 2021 Bills are going to have the most continuity of almost any team in football. And yet our opponents... Almost anything but that. I mean, we're going to have anywhere from seven to as many as many as ten games against teams starting quarterbacks that weren't on that team's roster this season. You're talking about the Jets twice, New England twice, Pittsburgh, Indy, Houston, Jacksonville. 
New Orleans, Atlanta, Carolina. I'd also like to throw in New Orleans cap situation. Yeah. No, that's that's a that's a shit show. Jesus. Four of those teams are also going to have first-time NFL head coaches. <laughs> Tell me that that's not that that in and of itself gives us a pretty handy advantage. Don't talk to me about strength of schedule based on points against, wins against, blah, 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 blah. new head coaches and new quarterbacks across the board. Not an elite one to be found, mind you. <laughs> Not an elite, a proven to be elite quarterback to be found. This team, in terms of roster construction, roster building, and talent, between both players and coaches, have improved every single offseason. Our GM has proven that he can identify and acquire talent. Look at our wide receivers this year. Just, just between, for example, between free agency, trades, and drafting, we built arguably one of the league's best wide receiver cores. Yeah, and then also to put on top of that, something that I tweeted out earlier today to Bruce, I think Gabe Davis, I mean, we'll give him one more season. He's in line to replace John Brown as our two. He may be there next year, depending on yeah. caps. I mean, we have two and a half million dollars in cap space. It it, it can yeah. come faster you're, than that. You're getting in that situation where you need your co- you need to lean on your college scouting to get those good players in the second, third, fourth round that you're that are on rookie deals. When's the last time you could say, "Hey, we we're the Buffalo Bills, and our offense was one of the best pass protecting units in football"? Doug Whaley. <laughs> I hate you. Our GM has proven that he can he can do some things well. If that doesn't make you feel good, I, I... Contractual gangster. If that doesn't make you feel good, I don't know what does. And our head coach has illustrated a flexibility that I didn't think that he was capable of in terms of being open to pivoting philosophically. When he first got here, it was, we're going to play defense and we're going to run the football. It really seemed like some Rex Ryan stuff. And yet... He didn't fight this pivot this season to a run-and-gun, freewheeling, modern NFL passing attack. He's learned just as much, if not more, than most of his players in terms of improving his performance and having his team prepared every single Sunday and how to execute in close moments. So with this latest lesson, I expect him to improve. And then... You look at what the Buffalo Bills are as a franchise now. We have become an incubator for growth, both from a cultural and a development standpoint, for the first time in my life. A team where a head coach can go out there during the draft and make a statement to the media like, come to Buffalo and become the best version of yourself. And instead of being laughed at, that has to be taken seriously. Chris, I've got a list of the success stories right here. Stefan Diggs. Stephon Diggs went from being viewed as a locker room cancer to being the NFL's top wide receiver. Right tackle Darrell Williams went from being an all-pro to the scrap heap and now in line to hit free agency and land himself a solid payday. Cole Beasley. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a, just a big, hairy American winning machine. Cole Beasley, an admittedly me-first guy. 
Now, I told you the story about how I got I, I was oh, drinking yeah. on the yeah. cruise drinking on the cruise ship, and all the Cowboys fans were like, "Good luck with Beasley. He's a prima donna. He's this. He's that." He even admitted this at, at the beginning of this season. He made comments to the media about how, for the first time in his career, he didn't care about his own personal statistics. He just wanted to win. Okay. A me-first guy who just played three games on a broken leg because he believed in what we were doing here. He believed that it was worth digging deep and finding a way to overcome that injury just to be available for this football team. Josh Allen, the prospect nobody wanted and that no one thought could find success, now in the MVP conversation and growing into a leader of NFL football teams. The evidence speaks for itself that we've built something special here in Buffalo and a a loss to the Kansas City Chiefs doesn't change that. In fact, I'll take that a step further. This team, one of the things that should make you feel good going forward is that this team is led by a quarterback for the first time in decades who maybe he made maybe one of the biggest jumps in performance, execution and leadership from one season to the next that I've ever seen. Maybe anyone has ever seen. Yeah, I'd say anywhere in football. It's NFL history we're talking about. And if he can just firm up the nuances of the game, his composure, his understanding of the game as it tends to happen for most young quarterbacks, they learn, right? You learn how to find composure. You learn how to not get rattled by opponents. Tom Brady wasn't unflappable when he was younger. Patrick Mahomes sat for his first year. And in his second year, he got handed one of the most complete football teams in football. And he, too, lost in the AFC Championship game to what I think was a subpar, or at least, I mean, they went on to win, but not a great offensive football team in New England like we were used to saying. They led with defense, and they ran the ball, and they played power football, but they passed well enough to be scary. They lost to a New England team, and Patrick Mahomes had to go back to back to the drawing board and say, okay... How can I not be so rattled by defenses? How can I get better? And he did. And that may be what propelled him to what he is now. (sighs) If he, if Josh Allen can harness even a little bit of that, he could potentially be better than he was this year next season. We as a team are well positioned to learn and grow from this in a way that so many other teams around the NFL just aren't. Consistency at all the important places, the flexibility to address the roster in places that were lacking, and an award-winning GM and head coach combo, combined with hungry players that are a lot of whom are just entering their prime. Chris, there's no way you can tell me the future isn't bright here. Put your shades on. (laughs) And that's all on-the-field stuff. And it's encouraging, and that's all well and good. But Chris, you said it yourself. This is what I remember when you were trying to tweet out the things that I was yelling in the basement. And you said, this is what happens when you work with a lunatic. Yeah. Or did you call me a savage? What a was savage lunatic. Because I, I know you in the moment that Mark calls it Sunday Drew. Get rid of Allen. Make, cha- make changes on the coaching staff, which is kind of open-ended. Uh, defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, head coach. I called for firebombings. Yeah. And you, <laughs> I said a lot of things. You've openly referred to, not not on this show, but on Sundays, you have referred to McDermott as Dick Geron 2.0, which... <laughs> which, if anything else, underscores how volatile my, I am emotionally when it comes to football games. 
Yeah, if, if me just saying that Drew uses Dick Geron and Sean McDermott in the same sentence, like, that's why we don't record, like, Greg and Aaron right after the game. But see, and this is what makes me, I think, specifically, it gives me a special sort of insight to the way fans feel. And I understand that for some people, none of this stuff that we just talked about acts as kind of a salve in the wounds or makes you feel a whole lot better about how this ended. How a season with so much promise just ends on this down note and how something that felt like it was building towards this epic finale ended with what was a thud. (laughs) Like we got our fingers shut in the door on the doorstep of something fantastic. So I want to approach that segment of our audience a little bit differently. And even though I already have two open beers, I'm going to open another one. We're two-fisting for this. You need octopus hands. You got three open beers. I'll hold, I'll hold the third one at the same time if that makes you feel better, Chris. We're triple beering over here. Okay, guys. I was here with you emotionally until today. Today... I was driving to the vet clinic to drop my dog off. And he may need a little ACL surgery. We don't know yet? Don't know yet. It's inconclusive. They gave us some stuff. He's going to, we're going to try to make him not so fat. <laughs> and back off his food a little bit. Once he loses some weight, we're going to see how he, how he does. <sighs> but so I tuned into WGR, something I don't normally do. Especially because I tuned in for the callers, Chris. Now, Chris, how many times have you heard me scream and rant and rave about the callers on any radio program? A lot. I also have in my audio bank. When I used to be one of them? You used to being a WGR caller. Yeah, but I had points to make. And I was one of the ones. I don't know about lu- that. But hang on. I was one of the ones lucky enough to say, hey, let's find a microphone. And rather than me calling into the radio station to air my stupidity or my stupid opinions and my gut, I'm going to build a podcast. Around my dumb opinions. Yeah. And I think it served us pretty well. Yeah, thank God I had that idea. <sighs> but I tuned in because I wanted a heat check as to the disappointment level of fans who are out there. And I got to tell you, what I heard wasn't good. I mean, guys talking about how uh, Leslie Frazier, hopefully he gets that Houston job. We don't need him. <laughs> we don't need that bum. Uh, talking about how if the Bills don't go out and trade up for a running back. That the team is doomed. Oh, yeah, that's the thing on Twitter for today. Everybody's into the offseason. Get a running back. People calling to say that Josh Allen should be traded for Deshaun Watson. Seen that one, too. People calling to say that this might be the biggest disappointment in recent team history. Listen, I'm one of you guys. I'm one of the people who takes all of this a little too seriously and a little too personally. It's not just a game to me. The outcome of these games has the ability to dictate my emotions on a Sunday to Monday basis, which to the dismay of my family and friends, sometimes it can be, (laughs) it can be catastrophic. How many days have you walked away, Chris, at the end of a Bills game that we go to the stadium for? You can't wait to get in your car and get as far away from uh, from me as possible. Every home game. Yeah. The anticipation of these games is enough to get me out of bed on Sundays before dawn. 
Sometimes, just to go spend 12 hours standing around in sub-freezing temperatures, just to watch them happen. That's how intoxicating this possibility of this team being a winner is to me. So when they lose, I take it personally. I'm like a living version of that Jordan meme. And I took that personally. I take it all personally. This season, this team gave us a taste of greatness. They gave us a taste of what's driven me out there in the cold for a decade, all December long, watching this team play. They gave us that, even though we couldn't be there to see it. And there's no shame in being a little bit bitter that it ended too soon. But as it was happening, we watched this team take on bigger meaning in what might have been one of the shittiest years on record. We watched a community of people come together under a, a red, red and blue banner with a charging buffalo on it, rally together in one of the worst years of the last century. At a time when we literally couldn't have been farther apart from each other, both physically and philosophically, the 2020 Buffalo Bills brought people together, from sports fans and national analysts to people in our community, both physical and electronic. New chapters of relationships were written. Friendships were made. Positivity was embraced by people. At a time when we've never had to have so much distance between friends and family, Bill's games brought people closer. In some cases, closer than ever. Chris, we talk about it all the time on the show. This year made us closer with the people that we love. Yes. And in a year where nobody could be together, you you found ways. Because this team did well and it brought everyone together, gave you something to talk about. Even strangers that you didn't know. You could talk to them about football. And you had that in common and it made it all right. In a time when it felt like all we had was bad news, political reports, economic forecasts, medical journals, the success found by this Bills team gave people reason for hope. From the games on Sundays and the excitement of what the next week would bring, to people just being friendly to her, <laughs> just friendly to each other. I mean, that's hilarious to think about. But I, today, I was walking down the sidewalk on my way to go pick up our pizza, and I had my 1992 suede Bills jacket on and this old man stopped and held the door for me and as I walked by he goes hey go Bills and I laughed because I'm like I don't know if that would have happened before this I don't know if right now people would be I remember what this summer felt like even this spring people were people were scared nobody talked to each other in public you stayed as far away as, from each other as you could. And yeah, it's even like when you me, did go out, it was stressful. Yeah, it's like me and Bruce in our personal lives. Stay away from us. Don't talk to us. We don't want to engage with anybody. And yet walking around Buffalo now, I don't know. Things are just a little bit lighter. Just a little bit. And maybe that's time, but so much of it seems to be attached to this football team. <sighs> Something. This team became something positive to remind us that it can't rain all the time, and it brought. It also brought people back who have been off the Bills bandwagon for years. And for as many of you out there who say, "Well, oh, you weren't here when we were bad," you keep. Some people just can't do it. Some people aren't built to take repeated kicks in the head like that. Some of us are. 
But our fan base grew this year. And that's not a bad thing. And in a time of widespread, I think this one might be the biggest to me personally, widespread economic suffering. This Bills team and its players and fans inspired a level of generosity, both here in Buffalo and around the country, on a scale that's almost too big to comprehend. Chris, over a million dollars donated to Oshai Children's Hospital. Lamar, the backpack place in Louisville? Almost half a million dollars donated to that charity. Yeah. Thousands of lives will be positively affected by the funds raised and the changes that we were able to make. From kids fighting cancer and leukemia at Oshai to hungry kids, I I just, (laughs) and a dozen other places in between. All of that good done because of the performance of a collection of athletes and coaches dedicated to each other and to this franchise the same way that we are. People like me, Chris, the the emotional, the manic, passionate fans that drive this team. You're right. We were all Stefan Diggs in that moment when that game ended. But when you think about all the things that have laid out here and a dozen more that I probably missed, there's no way you can look back at anything that's occurred here over the course of this year and call it anything less than a gigantic success. It's impossible. And the, the fact that we're lucky that there's still reason to believe that what lies lies ahead of us could be just as epic. It could be even bigger. There could be better things coming down the pipeline for this football team. I know that you're not... I know that something like this can't, can't hurt your feelings because you don't have any. No, I have no feelings. You're dead inside. Yes. For the most part, so am I. And if I, tr- and I, <laughs> I trust that if you're out there listening to this podcast, you're one of us. You're one of these people. You're, you're the sort of reasonable, sort of manic. Maybe you're dead inside like Chris. Maybe you're a little bit more emotional like I am. <sighs> but I know that you're going to be here. When we pick this thing up again, when that first snap of the 2021 NFL season rolls around, you're all going to be here. So I'll close with this, and you can recite along if you'd like, because I'm sure you all know it by now. Fight on, my men, Sir Andrew said. A little hurt, but not yet slain. I'll just lay down and bleed a while, and then I'll rise and fight again. (laughs) Chris, I know I'll be back here. I'll be back. We'll bleed this thing out. No one knows what the future holds for both the world and this football team. I mean, between COVID and politics and the shifting landscape of the world around us. I don't know. Who fucking knows where we're going to be? And then in football, you get the draft, you get free agency. Who knows what fresh hell is waiting for us? But perseverance? That's who we are. We're Bills fans. And you're damn right that no matter what the world throws at us, we're going to come together. Under that same red, white, and blue charging Buffalo banner, we're going to rise and fight again. And I just can't wait to see it happen. (sighs) That was broken. I had notes. I had uh, cliff notes written for myself, and I got a little emotional. I got away from it. But, Chris, I love this. This season really has meant 
so much to me. Well, it's finally nice to, to podcast the season where we go 13 and 3. But we're not done. You know, because our season's over doesn't mean that this is over for the year. Well, I'll tell you this there's plenty of time for offseason planning, free agency, draft prep over the next two months. Rushing into that, to me, wouldn't do justice to what was a fantastic season of Bills football. Maybe one of the best in my lifetime. So in that spirit, you got to tune in next week for our 2020 season recap roundtable featuring WGR 550's Nate Geary and former producer slash host turned corporate stiff Ryan Gates. Do you remember, Chris, the last time we did this? Yeah, that's that was awesome. That started Nate Geary's uh, Cleveland Love Fest. <laughs> I can't wait. You're going to get to see this season and hear about it through the eyes of not only a current professional broadcaster, but also a pro broadcaster turned just average Joe. We're going to relive and discuss some of our biggest moments, our favorite plays, dissect the ways that we've grown as a football team, what we're looking forward to in the future. We're even going to give away season superlatives. That might actually be one of my favorite parts of every season. Probably. And then lastly... For those that you have been wondering, because it's never been mentioned during the season, we have been counting our beers, and the numbers are in for Beer Watch. <laughs> and for that, you have to wait until tomorrow's podcast. You're going to have to tune in. And and our AFC East Roundup has returned. Guys, we've been so distracted by the Bills being in the playoffs, I feel like our fan base has gotten away from what's going on around us in the AFC East. And I got to tell you, there are some seismic shifts taking place. There's a lot of change on the horizon for all three of our competitors, which I find equally interesting and hilarious. You're going to have to tune in next week. Er, not next week. Jesus Christ. What? Tomorrow. If you're listening to this now, it'll literally be tomorrow. You can go find our podcast where we're going to pick our usual panel of experts, pick their brains about all of the turmoil going on in their own franchises. Make sure you tune in for it. Thank you for tuning in for one entire season, our first professional season, Chris. Our first season is pro podcasters. Oh, that's right, yeah. We get a Raise a glass, sir. <laughs> Guys, it's been a lot of fun. Hopefully you're here for all of our off-season shenanigans, but for tonight we got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and this has been the Rock Pile Report.